studied about the man. This week we'll start studying about the book. I know several are joining us on social media. We welcome you as well. Before we get into our lesson tonight, I do have a few announcements. I think many of you may have heard of the death of Larry Jean Lambert. His uh, funeral, I believe, will be on Wednesday at 2 o'clock at Macmillan. We really feel for our brother Luther Mormon, his sister Sue Jones, who is at Landmark, have called in the family. She is very low. 
Sister Wynell Thompson is scheduled for a heart procedure on uh, Wednesday. Sister Sandy Bonham is, has upcoming surgery in New York. We need to continue to remember Sandy in our prayers. Philip Coates will have uh, surgery on November the 23rd on his neck. Mary Hoffman is scheduled for eye surgery on uh, November the 17th. We're certainly glad that Ricky Davis is recovering well from his heart surgery. And there are several others uh, in our bulletin. We need to remember them in our prayers. Would you bow with me, please? <clears throat> our loving Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the blessings that you give us. We are thankful especially for the blessing of prayer. We're thankful that we can petition you on behalf of those that are in need, those that we love. Uh, we pray your comfort to be with the family of Larry Jean Lambert. We pray that you would be with the family of Sue Jones at this time. And bless Brother Luther as he uh, loves his sister. And Father, we pray that you would be with Sister Wynell Thompson in her upcoming heart procedure. We pray that everything could go well and she could be restored to better health. We pray for Sister Sandy Bonham in her upcoming surgery. We pray, Father, that all would go well with that. We pray also that all would go well with the surgery that Philip Coates and Mary Hoffman are scheduled to have, and we're thankful for the recovery of, of Ricky Davis after his heart surgery. And Father, we ask that you be with us in our study of Joshua tonight. We, we know that you have recorded all of these things so that we can learn from them, and we pray that we'd learn from this study. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I know uh, it's good to have Brother Brandon Elliott in our audience tonight. He's our co-teacher in, in this. I have some uh, upcoming cataract surgery in end of November and the middle of December, and he'll, I know for at least for those weeks, uh, he'll be teaching the class. I said we were studying about Joshua the man and Joshua the book. Uh, we're on lesson two tonight. This will be an introduction to the book of Joshua. My intent is for us to get through at least the first two chapters of Joshua tonight. Uh, just a little bit of review from last week's class. If you go back to Deuteronomy, the 31st chapter, we're going to look at about eight verses there. I had such positive feedback from Brother Rick Warner reading our scriptures last week. I've asked him to do that again this week. So Brother Rick, would you start in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 31? Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations before you and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. 
And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites and their land, when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you, and he will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. We're in a transition here between Moses and, and Joshua. Uh, I just really appreciate Moses' attitude when he's been told that he's not going to be able to go into the promised land. He is still showing interest in God's people. He's not defensive. He realizes that what's happening to him is appropriate for his own action. There is a theme that we're going to see in Joshua, the first chapter, and also here at the end of Deuteronomy. It's this theme of be strong and courageous. And here Moses tells the people first that they need to be strong and courageous. And then he specifically to Joshua there in front of the people tells him to be strong and courageous. And also from last week in Deuteronomy, the 34th chapter, verses 8 and 9. Rick? And the children of Israel went for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so that the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. With this transition to Joshua, this is not a new thing that Joshua is going to be their leader. You know, they had seen Joshua as we looked last week, uh, 21 days after they crossed the Red Sea. He's the general that is leading the Israelites in the army against the Amalekites. And they had seen him go with Moses up Mount Sinai. And they had seen him stay in the uh, tabernacle of meetings when Moses went back up Mount Sinai the second time. I don't know what happened with Joshua in the 38 years that we don't hear anything about him, but obviously the people still respect him. And Moses had highlighted him, as Rick had read to us earlier in from uh, chapter 31, had highlighted the fact that he was going to be the leader, and now it looks like everything is lined up for him to take over in this transition. And so the leadership has changed. Was Moses, but now it's Joshua. When you think about uh, the book of Joshua, Joshua is the author but right at the end of Joshua, we get into Joshua's death. And so obviously Joshua didn't write the very tail end of the book. But the book describes the uh, conquest of Canaan. This is a book that covers 25 years of history. As we studied last week, Joshua was 85 years old there at the end of Deuteronomy when he was put in charge. 
He was 45 years old when he came out of Egypt. And with the 45 years plus the 40 years in the wilderness, plus the 25 years in the book of Joshua, we get to 110 years old when Joshua dies. In this book, Joshua gives the account of the various conquests of the Canaanites. There, there are a lot of different groups, and we're putting Canaanites here uh, because this is the land of Canaan. And, and the book is written in a narrative form, and it opens with the Israelites ready to cross the Jordan River into Canaan. And chapter 1 has God giving his instructions to Joshua as the new leader. Let's look at that. He's basically going to say, get up and cross Jordan. And he says, I have given you this land. But just realize we've got a 25-year period where the people have got to go and accept the gift that God has given them. All right, Brother Rick. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. All the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I don't know if my count is accurate, but I know I can think of at least four times where he has told him to be strong and courageous. And I was just going back and looking at the context of each of those times, the ones in Deuteronomy and the ones here in Joshua, the first chapter. And I think he was to be strong and courageous because he had a great mission. He was going to have to divide the inheritance. And if any of you have ever been involved in dividing inheritance, you know sometimes you need to be strong and courageous. He had to be strong and courageous because he was told that he needed to carry out all of God's commands. Sometimes it's hard to carry out God's commands. And he's going to have some, well, some literal battles to go through. And he, we're going to see as we go through Joshua that sometimes uh, 
the children of Israel do slip up, and it's got to be strong and courageous and always bring them back to God's side. God made some promises to Joshua. He said, every place that the sole of your foot's going to tread is going to be the land or this promised land that I'm giving you. He said, no man will be able to stand against you. Now, if you'll remember back to when we had the 12 spies, oh, this was about 38 years prior to this time, and they were describing some of the people there. How did they describe themselves compared to the people they were going to go to? Grasshoppers. I mean, that, that's a pretty graphic illustration. And yet God is telling Joshua here that no man is going to be able to stand against you. And the most important part, I will be with you. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he gives some instructions to Joshua. Multiple times he tells him to be strong and courageous. And he tells him not to turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand from the law. Have you ever heard this before? Do we get any instructions similar to that now? You, you think about the book of Revelation and where we're told not to add to or take from what is written in that particular book. This seems to be a principle of God. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When God gives a command, He wants that command to be followed explicitly. And the law must not depart from your mouth. I just think about the instructions that are given in Deuteronomy about how to train your children and all the different times that you're supposed to talk to your children and how you hang things in on the doorpost and you put things in your house so that there are constant reminders of God's Word. And then he goes on to say, meditate on the law day and night. Down in the last quarter, there was uh, a... Uh, a class that Brother Stephen Hodgins taught, I believe, that dealt with thinking on God's Word. If we can meditate on God's Word and let that be inside of us, what's going to come out of our mouth is going to be words that are pleasing to God. And also, when we have to make decisions, we'll have a basis for those decisions to be made. And then he said, do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord is with you wherever you go. Fearing God is, one, is a wonderful thing, but when we fear the things that the devil puts out there, we fall into the devil's trap. I can imagine that... Fear was a real possibility here. Because when you think back to 38 years prior and they started describing the kind of battles that they were going to go into, they said, take us back to Egypt. We don't want to do this. 
And so we've got the same situation, except reality is we're about to cross Jordan. We're about to go into all of these battles. And so God is saying, don't be afraid. Don't do like the whole children of Israel did 38 years ago. So Joshua takes over. Let's look at starting in verse 10. Okay, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, Pass through the camp and command the people saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within the three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them. Until the Lord has given you your brethren rest, as he gave you, and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. They're preparing to, to take possession here. Now just imagine, in 40 years, they've been out wandering in the wilderness, and yet he goes through the camp and says, in three days, we're going to move. I mean, they've been waiting a very long time, but the time has come. Now this... Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh were supposed to stay on the east side of the river. Uh, now there was in Numbers, the 32nd chapter, a pretty good discussion about that. And the, uh, you can find that after a great battle they, where the Israelites were successful, that they saw this nice land the great pasture land, and they went to Moses and said, we want to have this. And there's a really good discussion there about them being able to get this land. The tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad are requesting this. The half-tribe of Manasseh also fit into the agreement. But for them to be able to be given their inheritance on the east side of Jordan, they had to agree to help with the battle that was involved in capturing Canaan land. In Joshua, the fourth chapter, and I know that we're going to get to this later on, but I thought this was an important verse or a couple of verses for us to look at. And the men of Reuben and the men of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed for the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for the battle to the plains of Jericho. You can see this part of a map on the screen showing Manasseh and Gad and Reuben and right there in the lower part of Gad, right across the river is Jericho. 40,000 men from these three tribes went with the army or went with the other tribes and helped to fight the battle. I, I understand that 
about 78,000 of fighting men from Gad, Manasseh, and Reuben stayed on the, on the east side so they'd have somebody to defend in case there were, was war there. But they did fulfill their commitment to Moses to add to the army. So the, uh, agree, the Israelites agree to do all that God has commanded. So they answered Joshua saying, all that you command us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Joshua's got a strategy. He's going to uh, go across Jordan and begin the initial invasion. That initial invasion is going to be against Jericho. But his overall war strategy is an attitude with altitude. He's going to go for the high ground first. And as we start processing ourselves through the book of Joshua, we're going to see these various battles that they encounter. We're going to first start with him crossing the Jordan River next week and moving in towards Jericho. But before he goes over to take over Jericho, he's, there's going to be a spy situation. And he's going to send out two spies, not 12 like they did before, but two spies. We're going to read about those this is 22 verses, so bear with us as we read through this. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Akatsia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here, come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark, that the men went out, where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up on the, to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly, destro utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God, in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. 
So the man answered to her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell, if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will kindly deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear. Unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. If you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath which you have made us swear. Then she said, According to your word, so let it, so it be. And she went, sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. And they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. Such great faith. They didn't have Facebook and they didn't have Fox News, but somehow she knew about the parting of the Red Sea. She knew about the great battles and the victories that the Israelites had. It is interesting to me that she stood up for these two men before she ever had any contract with them. When the soldiers came, she deceived the soldiers about where they were and where they were from and where they were going and where they were at that particular point in time. It was after she had done that that she then went to the men on the roof and started having the discussion with them. And she expressed her confidence and faith in the God of the Israelites. And she wanted to be saved. Not only herself, but who else, Luther? Her whole family. Her sisters, her mother. Uh, and they agreed to that. And they agreed that you got to put them all, you, all, when we come and capture this city, everybody in your family that you expect us to save have got to be in the house. If they're outside the house, we can't do anything about it. When we get over into uh, the capture of, of Jericho, we're going to look at some archaeological finds. I was looking at one on this afternoon on the internet, and it was describing one of the north walls did not fall, and on that wall was a house. Isn't that interesting? Right there in Jericho. Just when you look at the chronology of the spying out of Jericho, Joshua sent two men to spy out Jericho, and they came to Rahab's house, a, a prostitute, and they spent the night there. The king got word that the spies were there and sent men to Rahab's house in order to hand her to hand them over. Rahab hid the spies on a roof under stalks of flax. And Rahab told the men that the spies were gone. The men chased after them 
toward the Jordan. And as I said, she did this before requesting anything of the two spies. And Rahab was knowledgeable of the Lord's protection. What is faith? Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, she had plenty of evidence and she had developed some faith. All right, the spies agreed to save her family if she kept quiet about them. And Rahab lured them by a rope from her home, which was on the wall, and the men escaped and hid for three days. And if anyone told of this fact, it would be void, and the spies hid in the hill country for three days and then went back. Uh, and as I said, we'll go into more detail when we get into the capture of Jericho about some archaeological evidence. But one of those things that's just interesting to me is they did find a house on a part of the wall that did not fall when all of the rest of the wall fell. Isn't God wonderful? The walls fell down flat. That's right. And we'll look at that evidence as well. Now, you know, the, the spies do report back. Rick? So the two men returned, descended from the mountain and crossed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Isn't this different from the 12 spies report? I often wondered why they didn't spend, send 12 again. Maybe they'd just pick the two faithful and send them out. Then they didn't have to worry about an unfaithful report. But these men are confident not only of their probability of victory, they also know that the people are faint-hearted. The word has already gotten out that the, the God of the Israelites is a powerful God. And the people are shaking in their sandals, so to speak. And sure, what a difference 40 years of wandering in the wilderness make. And these two spies are united in their belief in the power of God. Now I've got some food for thought as we think about these two chapters. One is how many times Rahab is mentioned. She is mentioned in Matthew 1 and verse 5 in the ancestry of Jesus. She's also mentioned in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the hall of fame of the faithful. Uh, she is listed in there right alongside of Abraham and Noah and Moses. I mean, she's right up there. And in James, the second chapter in verse 25, Rahab receives honor because she, of what she did. You know, there, faith without works is dead. And, and the works of Rahab are used as a testimony of faith. So, 
What are your thoughts about her deceiving the king's soldiers about the location of the spies? Was she, was that a sinful act that she did? Let me see by show of hands. How many of you think that was a sinful act? Wait a minute. I didn't see a single hand go up. Thou shalt not lie, right? I th I'm just noticing uh, we're in a few chapters over, we're going to find something that God did. When, uh, you know, the first battle of Ai was a defeat of the Israelites. The second battle of Ai, God had a strategy. And that strategy was, he set up some ambushes. And he sent his people up towards the city. And then when the men of Ai came out, the people of the army of Israel was to act like they were afraid and they were to go back, go into retreat. And when they went into retreat, the ambush was going to come in and take over and burn the city. So God's strategy was a strategy of deceit for the people of Ai. Not very different from what Rahab did. She had a strategy of deceit in this war situation with these men of uh, the king. I wonder, do you see any parallels in how God treated the midwives in Exodus, the first chapter, who, I said, lied to Pharaoh. They deceived Pharaoh. If case you didn't remember that, let's look at Exodus, the first chapter, verses 15 through 21. And the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Sephra, and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. All right, you got the midwives here who are saving the lives of these male Hebrew children. And they're deceiving the king or deceiving Pharaoh about what they're doing. There must be a principle here somewhere that we can find about it's never wrong to do right or something like that. I think God wants us to learn from the example of Rahab. I mean, I mean, after all, Rahab is served up to us as one of the faithful in Hebrews chapter 11. 
she served up to us as uh, an example of faith having uh, having works that were appropriate there in James. You know, when the children of Israel were going in to take over the land of Canaan, they were told they had been given Ten Commandments. One of those commandments was, Thou shalt not murder. And yet, they're told to go in, and in a place like Jericho, you kill everybody. Men, women, children. They were following God's, God's command right there. Sometimes we become so legalistic in our thinking, we forget what God's intent for us to do is. We need to make sure that we not only are following the letter of the law, but God's law, but that we are following the intent of God's law. Now, here, here's one more. I'm hoping this will stimulate your thinking. I'm not certain how I would answer this particular question either, but I do know that police officers often lie to suspects in an effort to get them to confess to crimes. They'll, confess, they'll lie about how much evidence they've got and that kind of thing. Does this fall in the same category with the midwives? Does it fall in the same category with Rahab? As we study through this book of Joshua, I hope that we can See what it means to be strong and courageous. To see what it means to uh, not be overcome with fear. To see what it means to understand and meditate on God's law so that when we are faced with these tough situations, tough situations like the king's men coming and telling us, are the king's men coming to Rahab and wanting to know what about these men, these spies that have come in? Where are they? How would we act? My sense is that, oh, that there are going to be more and more times, especially in the direction that our nation is going, that we're going to have to decide what to do. I know in Canada it's already a hate crime if you talk about certain aspects of sin as described in the Bible. And does that mean that if the government doesn't want you to talk about a specific topic because they're going to call that a hate crime, does that mean that you don't talk about that topic? I mean, we're going to have to make some tough decisions. And... It would be very easy to fall into the trap of fear. I'm afraid they're going to throw me in jail. I'm afraid that they're going to lock the church doors. Maybe we can learn from Joshua to be strong and courageous. I certainly hope that we can. The Lord's Supper is available in the little chapel for those who were unable to participate in that memorial this morning. Uh, would you bow with me as we go to God in prayer? Our loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us in our study of your word, help us to
gain a deeper understanding of these Old Testament examples that you've given us. Help us, Father, to meditate on your word, and by meditating on it, instill your guidance and your principles into our lives. We pray your blessings on this class. We pray that you would help us not to stumble over your word, but to be strengthened by it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you all very much.